Well, good morning. Well, if you would like to, you can turn with me to the book of James, chapter 5. Let's uh, begin by reading verses 8 through 12. It says, Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge, or the judge standeth before the door. Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together, Lord, and uh, Lord, look at your word this morning, and we pray for your blessing upon the Sunday school hour. We ask that you would use your word in a mighty way that would uh, give comfort and peace, and Lord, that you would just give us something from your word that would draw us near to you, Lord, and I pray that each one would leave this place, Lord, a little closer to Christ. And Father, we pray that you bless each Sunday school class this morning, that you do work in our midst today, we pray that you meet with us and we'll give you the glory for all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we looked at verses 7 and 8 primarily uh, with the thought of waiting patiently, knowing that the return of the Lord is at hand. And uh, all that should always be a comfort to us as Christians, knowing that the Lord is, is uh, going to return. And uh, we are exhorted to establish our hearts in verse 8. Uh, and we, we looked at the idea or we understand to establish a heart means to set it fast or to turn it resolutely in a certain direction, uh, to be committed to the Lord. And we talked about the idea that we should commit ourselves to laboring in the harvest until He determines. Um, we need to resolve to serve not until we think it's time, not until we begin to get wearied, but until the coming of the Lord or when the Father decides that time is. So we need to be established. We need to be set. We need to decide and to determine that we are going to set our, our affections on the things above and to look to the Lord uh, in that matter. And, and that will help us be patient. Uh, when you have a focus, it, oftentimes we get impatient when we're not focused. And so this morning, we're going to look at this idea of comfort and hope in affliction. And the scriptures will help us establish our hearts. Um, I, I believe that. Um, here in verses 10 and 11, James gives us an example of those that have patiently endured uh, despite afflictions. He gives us the, uh, shares the examples of the prophets and of Job. Um, but if you would, turn with me before we look at some of these things to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, not too far back in the New Testament here. We're just going to look at one verse uh, and look at a couple thoughts under this idea of establishing our hearts. And, and as we look to the word of the Lord, we find comfort and peace. And verse 4, it says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And so as James begins to give us some examples of uh, the Old Testament saints, if you will, of what they have endured, 
we know that God has given us the scriptures and the examples of those that have gone before us to encourage us. Uh, we can find comfort in knowing that we're not the only person that's gone through these things. And we can find hope, understanding that the end of the Lord is good. Uh, God has taken care of His people. Uh, listen, we have the benefit of going back and learning of things uh, others endured and how they fared. Uh, often, many of these saints did not have that same benefit. Uh, they were going through it that we might learn from them. And uh, we have a great advantage, uh, I would say, that many of those who have gone before us did not. Especially given that we have the full canon of Scripture today. We have the Old and the New Testament to, uh, as we see the patience of those that have gone before us, we learn some things. As I mentioned, we learned that we are not the only ones to suffer. Uh, there have been many folks that have gone before us that have suffered. Uh, in verse 10, James tells us of those prophets that have spoken in the name of the Lord that suffered affliction. Those that have gone before us that had labored in the harvest, those that had labored and spoke for the Lord, they were faithful Yet they still went through affliction. Uh, we know of folks like Jeremiah. He was imprisoned and, and thrown in a miry pit. Uh, we think of Micaiah, uh, Micah uh, imprisoned. Uh, Zechariah, he was executed. He was stoned to death. And so we have these examples of prophets that have gone before us and they've uh, been faithful to do what God has asked them to do. And they were afflicted in that. Some of them to the point of death. Yet they remain faithful. Uh, we can get grumbling over far less today, I would say. Uh, and then I think we're even more blessed uh, that we have the New Testament writings, the New Testament scriptures to benefit from. We have examples of those like John the Baptist. Uh, I was reading about Stephen yesterday and how he brought, was brought before the council and, uh, and then they took him out and killed him. We have Paul, and, and listen, we have Jesus himself as an example in Scripture of one that suffered affliction. <clears throat> Knowing that we're not the only ones to suffer is comforting. Listen, it's comforting to know. Listen, there's people in this room that are suffering. There's people on the other side of the auditorium this morning that are suffering, and they might be suffering in a very similar way as you. Um, and so I encourage you to fellowship with the people of the church you'll find some comfort in knowing that there's other people in similar circumstances. And listen, they can share what God's doing in their life to help get them through, and it will be an encouragement to you and you to them. Is that not why we're here today? Amen. To exhort one another? To encourage one another? That's why we haven't forsaken uh, to be here this morning. And so it's comforting. Listen, I want to remind you, God has not forsaken any of His people. Amen. Although even unto death, these people... Uh, were, were faithful, but God didn't forsake them. And I want to remind you, He's not going to begin forsaking people with you. He's not just going to change His mind today and decide, well, you know what? You know, for Fergie, I'm just going to just not be there for him. That's not the case with our God. Glad to have you here, Fergie. Listen, our God is good. Um, we learn that it's a blessing to endure. Look at verse 11. I think this is interesting. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Uh, boy, they're happy which endure. We count them happy. 
The word happy has the idea that we sense God's approval of our behavior and he will reward us for us. They are blessed in their endurance. They, as we saw, those prophets that were speaking for God, they were, they were doing what God had called them to do. They were being obedient to what God had for them. And consequently, they were happy. Uh, how many of you are joyful in your circumstances today? Even though those circumstances aren't great sometimes. Uh, they can be hard. But we can be happy. We can be blessed understanding that God is in there with us and that God is doing a work. And really, the truth is because we're obedient We can be content understanding the fact that we're just being obedient to God. So regardless of the circumstances, I'm blessed. Because we can trust Him. He is faithful uh, and He will take care of us. Our God is pitiful and full of mercy. Back to verse 11, it says, Which endure, ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Uh, Our God is not looking down at you and, and uh, just ignoring what's taking place in your life. He sees your affliction. He sees your trials. He sees your struggles. And he will bring something to pass in the end of it. Uh, but you do have to go through it sometimes. Listen, Job, he, he suffered affliction like few others. Probably like no other. Uh, we could even make that argument. Uh, all was taken from him, and yet he remained faithful to the Lord. If you think you're going through it, I challenge you to look at it through the lens of Job's trials and it's his experience. I think you'll find that yours is probably a little less significant or harsh, I would say. Maybe not less significant. God's still doing a work. Don't, I don't want to miss, uh, <clears throat> I don't want you to misunderstand that. Uh, listen, Job really went through it, my goodness, Right? Uh, We won't take the time to turn there and and look at all of that, but he lost everything. He lost his family. He lost all of his wealth. He lost his health. And so Job, the book of Job, in in God's word, it tells us that he was the greatest in the East. He had the most of all in that region of the world, and it was all taken. Uh, Everything that he had, and, and I was thinking... As I, I thought about that, just a man that had everything. If nothing else, when you get sick and, and you have those things, maybe you, you, you have the best access to the health care. You know, but here he is with broken pots, scraping his, his, his boils, his wounds. and uh, he, he lost everything. He was in a miserable situation. Uh, he was really going through it. But listen, there was a great blessing in the latter end of Job. And in verse 11, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. And so don't ever forget that God's doing a work and you're, you might be struggling. You might be going through the difficulties, but you're not at the end yet. Uh, and we see in the end, the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. He is looking down at your affliction. He understands the things that you're going through. And he is going to work those things out for your good. Job 42.10 says this, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job, and when he prayed for his friends also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So as Job went through all those attacks of Satan, the Lord was there, he understood what was taking place, and, and he was ready to bless him or to reward him in the end of that circumstance. 
Verse 12 says, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 she-asses. So God took care of them in the end. And this is how the, the book of Job ends. Job forty-two seventeen. So Job died, being old and full of days. Boy, he lived a full life, and the end of his life was a far greater blessing than anything that he had before. And so listen this morning, like Job, maybe you do need to go through it. But don't ever forget that our God is pitiful and full of mercy. And the end of those circumstances that you think are unbearable today, the end of that will be greater than anything you've had before. Because God will bring it to pass. So don't get impatient. There's blessings for those that go through it. The Lord is pitiful. He does not see our affliction and look the other way. That's not our God. He understands what's taking place. He will bless us for enduring, but we must be patient. We must be patient. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Look what it says here. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Why? For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Listen, as I kind of mentioned last week, even though we might not see the end of this here on this earth, we can rejoice and be exceedingly glad because the reward we have waiting for us in heaven is far greater than anything than we could even desire on this earth. Even if God blessed us like he did Job, what's waiting in heaven that stuff here on earth is in no comparison to what God has for us in the future. But the reality is you have to go through it to get there. Listen, we have to go through this life. We have to deal with our flesh every day. We have to deal with the struggles and the challenges uh, that face us. Uh, maybe the persecution or, or the reviling of others because we are in Christ. Listen, you don't get the reward without the persecution or the trial. I, don't, I have no examples of anybody that's ever been that and done that. I don't think any of us are going to be the exception. We've got to go through it. And so be patient. And don't forget the Lord's working it. The Lord's doing something. Uh, even when we don't see it. We can rejoice knowing that the Lord will work all things for our good. Even if it's not in our timing. Even if it's not uh, in our thought process and how we think it should do or how we think it should go. Our ability to endure patiently is perhaps made a little easier by knowing that the folks that were just like us, listen, remember that those folks were like us. They like passions as we are, as we, we see uh, about Elias later in this, this, this chapter. We won't look at that today, but uh, they're just people like we are. There's nothing special about them. They just looked to the Lord and trusted God. Uh, and God did those things. But, but we may be able to go through it a little bit easier knowing that those folks were just like us and they made it through similar and I would say oftentimes even worse circumstances than we have. Uh, definitely we can relate to them. Look, at, as Romans 
15 states, this gives us comfort and hope knowing that our God is in the suffering with us. He has not forsaken us. He has not forgotten us. Uh, he's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. And so this morning, I want to ask the question, are you in the scriptures? If you're going through it today, if you're in those trials, are you in the scriptures? Because you can find comfort and hope by going back and looking at those things. We can learn some things. God has given those things to us for our benefit. Listen this morning, don't neglect that. Are you in the scriptures? If you would get in them, you can have comfort and hope regardless of what you're facing. You can see what God has done for others and be confident that he's willing to do it for you. If you're being obedient to him. As those prophets were. They were obedient as Job was faithful and, and obedient to God. In the scriptures, God has given us great examples of whose faith to follow. Listen. You're not on the road of life alone this morning. We have the Holy Spirit. We have God. We have the scriptures. Uh, there's a lot of things that we can look to to find comfort and peace and grace and really hope that God will bring these things to an expected end. However, with our hearts and minds established and resolved to serve God with the, the help of His Word, uh, we are more likely to act as we should while laboring as we ought, but there are some things that we are prone to do when experiencing affliction. And James gives us a couple examples here. James mentions two uh, that we'll look at this morning uh, that we ought to avoid. The first we find in verse 9. If you want to turn your attention there, it says, Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. The word grudge here has the idea to sigh or to murmur with grief to groan, to grudge. There's a tendency for us to grudge due to the circumstances that we face. We often become discontent with our circumstances and become prime targets for whining. Boy, we begin to grudge and murmur, oh, look at them, and how come they're not going through this? And, and we start complaining amongst ourselves, one another. Uh, the Bible illustrator on grudging says this. It's, it's rather long, but I, I think it'll be worth the read. It says, it is that grudging which is in our afflictions whereby we are discontent that we should sigh so long under our afflictions. And the wicked which afflict us should no long or should so long escape unpunished, and so in our hearts, through impatience, complain hereof to God. Look at what this says. I thought this was this ought not to be in the saints of God who ought to be renowned for their unspeakable patience. Boy, are you known for your unspeakable patience? It continues, whose bounden duty is to pray even for their enemies, to wish well to them which have done them injury, and to commit their cause to him that judges righteously, which is God. And if this moderation and equity of our minds is to be showed towards our enemies, how much less ought we then to grudge against another Christian brother? If everyone gives some offense unto another, shall we complain to God in the bitterness of our hearts? Shall we desire revenge from God against them? And shall we not all then perish? For no man liveth without some offense giving. The grudging proceedeth 
from impatience. Argueth discontentment of the mind, causeth mutual complaining unto God, and desireth revenge against such as have done us injury. Which thing is far from the excellency of the dignity of a Christian, whose patience should be such, as where others through impatience accuse one another, either to God or men. Yet they should not so much as murmur in their minds, grudge to themselves, fret or grieve in their inward parts, much less complain indeed through discontentment and impatience, howbeit they have sustained injury. So those theologians are much more uh, educated and, and eloquent than I am. Here's what I have to say. As believers who claim to be followers of Christ, we ought to suffer silently. We have no excuse to grudge and to murmur and to complain against others. And uh, let's, if, if you want to turn here, we can. I'm going to read uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, 19 through 24. I think it would be good if you would turn there just to get your eyes on these verses. Because I think sometimes we feel justified in our discontentment. But the reality is we never should. 1 Peter Chapter 2, verse 19. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if, when ye are buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leave us an example, that ye should follow us in his steps, who did no sin, Neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. And when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. Listen this morning, we have no reason to begin grudging and complaining and whining about our circumstances. It's acceptable with God if we would just take it. Take it patiently, without whining, without complaining. Uh, not only should we just do it because it's the right thing to do, uh, but we have a good reason not to do. Uh, and that verse says, lest ye be condemned. Uh, we are subject to judgment if we begin to become impatient and start grudging others. The judge standeth before the door, it says there. The idea here is the judge is near at hand. He is near and taking account of those things and will hold us accountable for our grudging or murmurings. Listen, God is not pleased with grudging and murmuring. Again, we can go back and, and look at the people of Israel and when they begin to murmur and they begin to complain and they begin, become impatient with God and they, uh, they are, God deals with them very harshly. And again, be in the scriptures, and you can see that, and it's an encouragement. Hey, I don't want to go down that road. I don't want to bring the judgment of God on my life because I'm being impatient and discontent with my circumstances, and therefore I begin grudging and murmuring and whining about things. Listen, nobody likes a whiner. I've raised three boys, and praise the Lord, God's doing the work, and there's a lot of work to be done yet, but... Um, I'll tell you one thing that I could not stand in my home was a whiner. 
And when them boys start complaining, start, oh man, that, Lord help me not to whip them in the flesh. I'll tell you that. It's just one of those things. And I feel like God is similar in that characteristic. He does not like whining and complaining. He has given us so many promises. He's so trustworthy. And regardless of what we're facing, there's no excuse that we have to start whining and complaining. He is going through it with us. He will bring the end out better than it was before. We just have to be patient and trust him. Don't bring the judgment of God on your life because you're going to complain about something. Take it patiently. Take it silently. Listen, go to God. We, we're not going to look at this verse uh, today, but um, look at verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Take it to God. Don't start whining about it. If you're going to whine, whine to God in prayer. But don't start taking it out on the brothers and sisters around you and grudging and, and thinking things are going to get better. It's not. Has it ever helped? Not in my experience. It does no good. It brings judgment. Then uh, the judge is at the door. <laughs> He's taking account. He's listening. He hears it. It's not going to go unseen. Uh, and so this morning, we uh, had a mess of notes this morning. I think we'll get through it. The second thing James warns us uh, to avoid here is to swear not. Look at verse 12. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest you fall into condemnation. And so James appears to be echoing the teachings of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, you can look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. Jesus gives a very similar uh, <clears throat> command there. Uh, in, but in this passage here that James, it's of such significance that James says this, above all things. It says, but above all things, he opens up verse 12 by saying, this is of especially careful point uh, that whatever else is done, let not this be done. Above all the other things, don't do this. Do not swear. And uh, so many Jewish people in the time of Jesus made distinctions between these binding oaths and these non-binding oaths. Uh, oaths that did not include the name of God were considered non-binding. And to use such oath, oaths uh, was a way of crossing fingers, right? So if you didn't use God's name, if you, if you swore by something other than God's name, it was kind of like a little kid crossing his fingers behind his back, right? And, and uh, when he's telling a lie... Right, And so I think the, James and the Lord is getting after the intent that there was no intention to do what you're committing to do, and you're making a false oath. Uh, and, and so that's the idea here. And so there was no intention of being in, upright in the dealings here. And uh, James simply says these kinds of oaths uh, ought not be so in Christians. Uh, and so this was no doubt uh, common in, amongst the scribes and those of the day, the Jews of the day, and, and it was very common for them to make a commitment or to make an oath or to swear by something other than God uh, with the guys that I don't have to keep it anyway. And they were being deceitful, right? Maybe it was a stranger that wasn't a Jew that didn't understand this, uh, this culture that they had, and so they could cheat people out of things because they didn't invoke the name of God in their, in their oath. And so the, the Bible does not forbid the swearing of all oaths, uh, only against the swearing of deceptive, unwise, or flippant oaths. I think you could uh, say that. And, and on occasion, God himself swears oaths. Uh, 
Um, I have a couple examples here, but if, if you want to look at Hebrews 6, 13 and 14, it says, for where God, for when God made it promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself saying, surely blessing, I will bless thee and multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so there were holy men of God in, in both the Old and the New Testament that made oaths. And Abraham in Genesis chapter 21, and it came to pass at that time that Ahimelech and uh, I think it's Fickle, uh, I think it's Nickel, but with a PH, Fickle, the captain, the chief captain of the host spake unto Abraham, saying, God is with thee in all that thou doest. Now therefore swear unto me uh, here by God that thou wilt not deal falsely with me, nor with my son, nor with my son's son, but according to the kindness that I have done unto thee, and thou shalt do unto me, and to the land wherein thou hast sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. Elijah, uh, the Tishbite, in First uh, Kings 17, who, hath, uh, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God, God of Israel liveth, for whom I stand, there shall not be uh, dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. We see an example of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul, and to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth. And again in Galatians 1.20, Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Psalms mentions the use of an, uh, of an oath. It says, for whose eye, this is Psalm 15.4, For whose eye... A vile person is condemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. The need to swear oaths or, or make oaths beyond a simple and clear yes or no betrays the weakness of one's word. I think in our culture today, we, we would say that, right? You know, if you've got to say, I promise, you know, why, why don't you, if you're going to... We'll get to it here, but it says, let your yay be yay and your nay nay. Uh, just say what you mean and, and uh, keep your word. And, and we saw there in Psalms, swear to your own hurt and changeth not, even if it's inconvenient, even if it's not what you thought it was going to be. But it, it, when we do that, it demonstrates there is not enough weight in one's own character to confirm their words. And so oftentimes these guys were trying to, to deceive people in these oaths and, and uh, they were trying to invoke something <clears throat> different than, than their own character that would try to make somebody think it was a binding agreement, even though it wasn't. They were being deceitful. They were being liars, is the bottom line. Um, and so, as Christians, our yay ought to be yay, and our nay, nay. Simple. We, out of anybody in this world today, if we tell somebody we're going to do something, or we're going to commit to something, they ought to be able to take our word at it. And listen, sometimes if we do fail and we do make a mistake and, or maybe for some reason that's out of our control, we can't keep a commitment, we need to go to those individuals that's affected by that and say, listen, something's come up or this circumstance has changed. Regrettably, I'm not going to be able to do whatever I committed to you that it is. And so, uh, listen, be honest. Be straight when you make a commitment. Uh, don't be like these fools in the New Testament that were uh, making oaths that really they had no intentions of doing the right thing and honoring God 
and honoring the, their word and the commitment they made to people. And James, again, he closes this verse with uh, a similar to verse 9. It says, lest ye fall into condemnation. Uh, this lack of character will expose us to judgment. Again, God is going to take note of your lack of character and your uh, sinfulness. And that ought to motivate us the more to ensure we are speaking with integrity. Listen, God's keeping track. Even if you were to make it a commitment and make a business deal or something and you get away with it and you rip somebody off, God knows. And there will be judgment for that. You will fall into condemnation, the Word of God tells us. <clears throat> so this admonition, as I, as I kind of looked at it and, and uh, was looking, and some of the commentators, they seemed that it was out of context with, with the passage here. And, and uh, these are just study notes I'm sharing with you. Um, <clears throat> and some make the claim that James, he, he kind of jotted this down uh, at, as an afterthought to emphasize uh, the same warning in, in verse 9. Uh, but I, I don't know, it seems to fit well with the idea that when we are under affliction, we may be more prone to swear oaths or to try and get ahead rather than to looking to God for our provisions. We start to get into transactions or business deals and make commitments because we have a lack of faith or we're impatient with what God's doing. And so it seems to fit pretty well with me. And I would like to think that the Holy Spirit that inspired James knew what he was doing. So anyway, those are just things. Sometimes you read commentaries and you're kind of like, I don't know what this guy's really getting at here. But um, Listen, though we may find ourselves excited or not find ourselves excited about our circumstances at times, we ought not act in the flesh and begin to grudge or to make false claims or, or to swear falsely. But we must remember we can be happy or account ourselves blessed if we're just going to be obedient to the Lord. Listen, the Lord is working through the circumstances to bring an expected end. Don't act out in the flesh. Don't get impatient. Don't begin grudging and, and making false uh, oaths. Listen, God help us to endure patiently. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you'd bless it. Help us, Lord, to be the kind of Christian, Lord, that the Word of God teaches that we ought to be. Help us, Lord, to be happy and rejoicing, knowing that you're working in our circumstances to bring things out for our good, Lord, and really for your glory. And, Lord, it's just a pleasure and an honor to be a part of what you're doing. Help us, Lord, to remember that. And I pray that you'd just give us comfort and patience as we go through things. And, Father, I pray that you would... Lord, be with the morning service. We ask for your Holy Spirit to meet with us today. We pray that you would just do work in our midst. Lord, there's needs here today. Lord, those that need Christ, we pray that you would work in their heart, help them to see their need of a Savior. Lord, the Christian today that has a struggle, that's afflicted, Lord, I pray that you just touch their heart and help them, encourage them, strengthen them. I pray that the brethren would be encouragement as well. And Lord, we'll give you the thanks for all you do in our midst today. In Jesus' name, amen.